0: Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the us today. Thank you for uh, this opportunity you've
1: given us just to gather here and uh, read from your word, Lord, and just be with Pastor Jesse and give him the words to speak. And uh, just pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, before you sit down, if you need a Bible, there's stacks of them on the back table back there, those blue books. We are going to be continuing. Somebody tell me what book we've been in. Daniel, that's right. It's up there on the screen. Hey, how many of y'all are excited that you've got two more days before you get a whole week off of school? One more day. One more day? Oh, that's right. If you're in the band or on the football team, are y'all leaving tomorrow? So y'all got no more days of school. Nice. So no more days if you play football. One more day if you're in the band. everybody else, I'm sorry you got two, and that's, that's the way you got to deal with it. Um, but I think it's awesome that y'all have a few days off. Now, I want to remind you, Hey, because next week, because it's Thanksgiving next week, there will be no services on Wednesday night, so we will not meet in here next Wednesday night. You're welcome to come, but you're going to have to meet outside the building because I'm not going to be here, but you are welcome to be here if you want to, but otherwise we're not meeting next week. However, this Sunday night, for those of you who don't normally get to make it, you haven't heard about this yet, but normally we meet on Sunday nights and we talk a little bit and go into small groups. This Sunday night we're doing something different. We're having a fall party which means if you come in here at 5 o'clock Sunday night, there's going to be a bunch of tables, a bunch of chairs, a whole bunch of pies for us to snack on, um, some pretty good drinks, and then we're just going to have a good time. We're going to play some games and just hang out and have some fun that night. So if you have not made plans yet, be a part of that. That starts at five o'clock this Sunday night right here in this room. All right. So Daniel, that's the book we've been covering. We're going to do tonight just what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. We're going to cover an entire chapter. Does anybody know what chapter we're going to tonight? Nine. Some of you, I heard nine, ten, eight, a little all over the place, and that's okay. If you haven't been here, I understand. We're in chapter nine tonight, and what we've been doing is we started in chapter one. Believe it or not, Like 14 weeks ago, we started in chapter 1, and we've just been slowly walking through this book because there's a lot for us to learn, but as we've gotten to the last couple chapters, we've started doing a chapter a night, so tonight we're going to cover Daniel chapter 9, and if you've been here, if you haven't, it's okay if you don't know the answer to these questions, but there's some questions we ask every week because when you study a book of the Bible... There's some key information that that it's important for you to know. Where where that book's coming from, who wrote it, what they're talking about, what the main theme is, all of that. Just like when you read a book in class, you need to know some of those important things. So, who wrote the book of Daniel? Daniel? Daniel. How old do we believe he was when he was taken into captivity? 15, 16. What's the people group that came in and conquered the Israelites? Babylonians. And what was their king's name? Nebuchadnezzar, and we've had all kinds of strange names after that. Um, When do we believe this book was written? Sixth Sixth century. And, do I even need to ask the question? God's sovereignty. What's the main theme of the book? It's God's sovereignty. If you don't know what the word sovereignty means, it means God is in control. It means he is in control of all of human history, past, present, and future. He's in control of everything that happens to his creation. Now, sometimes that doesn't make sense to us because sometimes things go really, really well in our lives and we see really good things in history and we think, okay, I can see where God was working and doing cool stuff there. But there's other times when things happen in our lives, they don't make sense. Things that are painful, things that we would rather not experience, things that we can look back on history and see, man, humanity messed up right there. But knowing that God is sovereign means God is in control, whether it's the good things or the things that don't make sense that God still has a plan. And despite humanity's sinfulness and the effects that we suffer because of that, God is still in control of all things. And that's the main theme of this book that we've been walking through. So tonight, I'm going to pray. We're going to talk through, talk through the first couple of verses. And then Mr. Brock Landreth, come on up. No, stay right there. Not yet, not yet. But Mr. Brock, everybody say, hey, Brock. He's going, to, he's going to come down and read a big chunk of scripture for us. So let me pray and let's jump right into it. God, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you that we can be here, Lord, and I we thank you that we can spend time with your word. And God, even when we, we are looking at things like prophecy and things that can be sometimes hard to understand, God, your word still speaks to us. Lord, I pray that you'll give us as much clarity as we can have tonight and help us pull from this what it is you want us to walk away with so that we can honor and live in obedience to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so Daniel chapter one, 9, let me read the first verse. It says this, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Okay, so Daniel's just kind of jumping into what's going on here. So let me give you a little background there. What Daniel is doing is Daniel is going backwards. If you remember, if you were here before, Daniel chapters 1 through 6, Right? Daniel's what? chapter 1 through 6, I got to get my mind right. Daniel chapter 1 through 6, we were looking at historical narrative. And if you don't know what that is, it means we were looking at from the time that Israel was conquered and Daniel was taken into captivity to see what happened to him and what happened to that people group all the way up through a bunch of different kings to where Daniel was captured around the age of 15, 16. And by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, he's in his mid-80s. So he's lived in captivity for the majority of his life And serving in this foreign culture. But then when we got to Daniel chapter 7, it switched. It went from being this historical narrative to prophetic literature. And what Daniel started doing is Daniel started writing down, hey, back during this time when this king was in control, God gave me a dream. And when God gave me this dream, here are the things that he showed me. And the things that God showed him were things that were going to happen years and years in the future. And that's where it went from really easy to understand in that, that historical narrative to we're gonna do our best to understand this prophetic and, and some people call it apocalyptic because it's talking about the end times when Jesus will come back and everything ends and the world will be made right, all of that stuff. So we do our best to understand that. So when we get into chapter nine tonight, that's exactly what's happening again. Daniel is taking us kind of in the way back time machine saying, hey, during this time, something happened. And that's what's happening right here in verse 1, where he says, The first year of Darius was son of Ahasuerus, the descent of Med, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. And then it says right here in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. So basically what Daniel is saying here is, hey, I sat down and I was reading the word of God. He's reading from the book of Jeremiah. Now, I I said this and I misspoke a couple of weeks ago. I said Jeremiah lived and and wrote like hundreds of years before Daniel did. I misspoke. He was actually a contemporary of Daniel, which means they lived around the same time. They, They weren't exactly the same time, but around the same time. And so when Jeremiah wrote down what God gave him to prophesy... Somehow Daniel got his hands on that scripture, and Daniel is sitting here, and he's reading this scripture, and as he reads this scripture, scholars believe he was reading a passage from Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10. Let me read that to you. It's not going to be on the screen, so just listen to this. It says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. If you're wondering if you've heard that before, yes, that's what we call the graduation verse. Um, But it's a great verse, but you really need to read it in context. He's not talking about how well you're going to do in college. He's talking about the nation of Israel and the plans he had for them. And he goes on in verse 12. He says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you declares the Lord and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So Daniel is sitting here and he's reading these words from Jeremiah and as he reads this word, these words he begins to understand that God made a promise through the prophet Jeremiah that there was going to come a time that Israel who was living in captivity was no longer going to be in in captivity. That there was going to come a time where they would be released to go back to where they came from, where they would be allowed to work on rebuilding the temple. This is an amazing reminder for us that when we come across prophecy in scripture, even sometimes when it's difficult to understand, we can still trust that God has written this prophecy through men and that it's accurate, even if we don't understand how all of it plays out. Because we can go through and we've looked at the book of Daniel and we've seen the different prophecies that he's given us so far and we've seen how those have played out simply by looking at history. We've seen, we can go to history books and we can see where the Medes and the Persians came in and they took over Babylon. And then we can see where the next kingdom came in and took over that kingdom and the next kingdom came in and took over that kingdom. And that's apart from scripture. That's what we can find in history books. And yet all of those things were prophesied long before they ever happened. That's what shows us again and again that we can trust that God is sovereign and God is in control of all human history because we can see these things that were written so many years ago and go to history books and look and see that's exactly what went down. That's an incredible thing to know that you can trust the word of God. And that there's outside sources because I've talked to people before and they're like, well, I I don't believe the word of God. So I don't believe the things that are in the word of God. Yet if you compare the word of God to what actually happened in the humanity, you find the facts line up every single time. We know we can trust God's word. We know we can trust his prophecy. We know we can trust that he is sovereign because it always matches up. So Daniel's sitting here and he's reading the scripture. And the amazing thing is right now, he understands it. Some of this prophecy has been hard to understand, but Daniel's reading it, and as he reads it, he begins to understand, hey, this, there's this 70-year time period, and it's starting to come to an end. He's seeing the end of the nation of Israel's captivity, and he's getting excited about that. He understands it, he believes it, and in response, he gets on his knees before God. Now, we've seen before that Daniel is a man that prays. When we look back at chapter... I can't even remember the chapter now. Chapter five, chapter five. Daniel in the lion's den, right? Chapter six, I need to get it right. Man, my brain is all over the place tonight. Daniel chapter six, there was a decree sent out where these leaders came and said, hey, king, you need to make a law that nobody can worship anybody but you for 30 days. And anybody that does, that prays to, that worships anything else besides you needs to be thrown in the lion's den and they'll die. So the king makes that law. He makes that decree. And those guys convinced him to do that because they wanted to trap Daniel. Because scripture tells us that Daniel was known as a man that prayed. And even after that law was passed, it said Daniel went to his normal place to pray with the windows open and he gave worship to God through prayer. Daniel's a guy that prays no matter what the circumstances are, no matter even if it's a threat to his life, he prays. And as he's understood scripture and he sees what God is bringing for his people, He's a man that has lived in captivity for most of his life and he sees that God has promised there's going to be an end to that captivity. I mean uh, some of you think about it some of you in here have jobs and you go to your job and you start your shift and about 30 minutes in all you're thinking is man I can't wait till I get off tonight and it feels like it takes forever and then when the clock gets about 30 minutes out from your shift ending you start to get a little excited. And then, when it gets 15 minutes out, you get a little more excited. And then, about five minutes out, you're like, oh my gosh, time move faster. Because you're so excited, there's an end. He's been in captivity almost his entire life. And he finally sees an end to that captivity. Not just for him, but for the entire nation of Israel. Remember, they were taken from their home. They were taken from everything they knew. They were put into a culture that was intent on wiping out everything that they believed and understood to be true. And now Daniel sees that's going to be over. And he gets excited. And as he gets excited, he responds and he responds in prayer. It says in Daniel chapter nine, verse three, then I turn my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, we don't normally pray that way these days. We talk about fasting sometimes in the church. Talk about doing without a meal or doing without something in your life so that you can have time that you dedicate back to studying God's word and and spending time in God's presence. But this whole sackcloth and ashes, that's not something we talk a lot about today when we talk about prayer. Sackcloth is basically you're putting on this burlap sack. And ashes literally means just that. You're taking ashes, like fire ashes, and you're putting them on yourself. And if you don't know why you would do that, in the Old Testament, those were outward signs of a heart that was broken and grieving sin. They would go to those extreme measures to visibly show what they were feeling inside the brokenness over their own sin or over the sin of their people. And Daniel right here, he is convicted by the word of God and he is broken. He's read it and it's gripped his heart and he has to respond to what he has found. And I wanna ask you this question, don't answer it, but have any of you ever been gripped by the word of God in that way? Think about that for a second. Think about, have you ever sat down and read the word of God and seen who God is and seen who you are and the only response you can have is to get on your face and pray? That's an incredible thing that Daniel is doing here because this word of God it's cutting to his heart. He's grieving over the sin of the nation of Israel and he has to act on it. I pray that we would be people that when we read God's word we would be so gripped by it that we have to respond to it. That we don't have a choice. Now you may not put on sackcloth, you may not put on ashes and do all of those things, but you get on your face before God. And you pray to God because you read God's word and you're convicted by it and we submit our lives to it. And that is where we find Daniel right here in his response, his prayer. And his prayer, it's one of confession and it's one of petition. And we're gonna talk in just a minute about what those two words mean. But before we do that, we need to walk through the prayer. So Mr. Brock, come on up here. Daniel. Mic number two up there in the sound booth, please. There we go. You ready? Daniel chapter nine, verses four through 19. I do this every time we read a big chunk of scripture in honor of reading God's word. If you will please stand and follow along with Mr. Brock. You got it? Good man.
0: Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and prayer pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and made confession, saying, O Lord, with, great aw- with the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly, wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near, and those who are far away, and all the lands which to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before His before us by his servants and the, the prophets. <clears throat> All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and our rulers who ruled us by bringing us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there is none done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written, the law in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God. Turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth, therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has bought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, you, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it at as this day we have sinned and done wickedly. Our Lord, according to your righteousness, righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make a face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, he, o Lord, hear! O Lord, forgive! O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your your own sake. Of my, oh my God, has because your city, and your people are called by your
1: name. All right. Thank you, sir. Y'all give it up for Mr. Brock. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, go ahead and have a seat. 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 So, how, how many of you ever pray for that long? Yeah, a couple of you, maybe. But that's, that's a really long prayer. I, and I was reading through this prayer. Here's one of the thoughts that struck me is the fact that a lot of times prayer for us becomes something that that is kind of routine isn't it I mean I I remember growing up I don't know if the microphone so can you hear me there we go I remember growing up one of the prayers that I was taught as a little kid and, and maybe you can finish this God is great okay so that there's the Jesus love you there's there's a couple of you know that but hey listen That's a really good prayer for a child to learn, to start to understand, that God provides. But here's what happens. We get in the habit of that prayer, and I can tell you this in my house, probably all the way up through middle school, we still said that prayer, like my brother and I did. We were way too old to be saying that prayer anymore. Because what we do is we get in the habit, and for us, that wasn't a sincere prayer. That was something we just said, because it's what you said when it was time to eat. When you look at Daniel's prayer here, this isn't a prayer that is just, okay, God, we've done something wrong, forgive us, and then he gets up and moves on. God is intentional, or Daniel's intentional about what he's saying to God here. In fact, you even see Daniel's mind starts going back and his words start going back to to the Old Testament covenant that God had made with his people. The covenant that God made with Abraham, the covenant that God made with Joshua, where he promised his people, he said, hey, I will be your God, and you will be my people, but you need to follow and obey my commandments, and things will go well with you. And when you look at what he's talking about here, what he says over and over is, God, we've been disobedient. God, we've ignored your word. God, we've done the things that you told us not to do, and there's going to be consequences for it because the people of God, they were disobedient. And God, here's the amazing thing, God wasn't silent while they were being disobedient. That's why God kept sending his prophets. That's why God kept sending people to tell the nation of Israel, hey, you're my people. You're straying. You're living disobediently. You need to come back to me. And yet the whole time the people would mess up and the people would say, God, help us. And then he'd help them and then they'd mess up again. And it was that cycle. That's the whole book of Judges because it's what the people of God did. And eventually, there's consequences for their actions. It, it's kind of like this. When, when your parents warn you, and then they warn you, and then they warn you, and then they warn you, and there comes a point in time where the warnings stop, don't there? And the trouble starts. That's exactly what's happening here. There was a time where the people finally earned what they deserved because of their disobedience. And God finally acted and now you've got this entire nation in captivity and Daniel is pleading for God's mercy. In fact, that's what he does there in verses 4 through 15. It's a prayer of confession. It's a confession of the sin of the nation of Israel. But I want you to pay attention to how Daniel does this. Daniel doesn't look up at God and say, God, I want you to forgive their sin. What Daniel does is he said, we have sinned against you. Remember, Daniel has remained faithful to God during his captivity. No matter what has come his way, no matter what has tried to pull his attention away from God, Daniel has remained faithful. And yet through this prayer, through verses 4 through 15, Daniel identifies himself with the nation of Israel when he says, we have sinned. He is identifying himself with things that he didn't do. But in doing so, he's recognizing his own sinful connection that he has. And and here's what tends to happen. We tend to separate ourselves from other people that are doing things that are disobedient to God especially if they're doing things that aren't the things that we do to be disobedient to God we look at them and we think God man they need your forgiveness God they're going to need to turn to you and ask you to forgive them and we kind of separate ourselves from that And yet what Daniel is showing us here is that we need to remember when we look at other people and we start to see their sin and we start to think how much they need to talk to God, we need to remember we are just as guilty. The sin may look different. It may not play out the same, but it's still sin. And we are just as guilty as anybody else. And that is exactly what Daniel is doing here. He is acknowledging his own sinfulness as he prays for the nation of Israel, and we need to do the exact same thing when we talk to God. And then it goes on here in verse 16 through 20. He goes from a prayer of confession to a prayer of petition. He's asking God to show mercy on his people. Daniel is pleading with God based on what he knows to be true. Israel has done absolutely nothing to warrant or deserve the mercy of God. He's just lined all of that out. He's like, we've been disobedient, we've strayed, we've done this, we've done this. God, we don't deserve anything from you. And then he turns right around and asks God for his mercy. Daniel can't make the case that Israel deserves God's mercy, but he can appeal to the mercy of God. Because what Daniel knows, he's asking for something that he knows is always present and always available, even though it's never deserved. Always. Scripture tells us that when we turn to God, when we ask Him to forgive us of our sin, when we put our faith and our trust in Him, that God forgives our sin, God shows us grace, God shows us mercy. And Scripture tells us it is available to anyone who would ask Him. It's always available even though it's never deserved. We talked about this a couple weeks ago on Sunday night. You can't work your way to God. You can't be good enough. You can't give enough money. You can't show up to church enough. You can't sing all the right songs enough. You can't work your way to God. God is the one who makes a way for you and I to know him. And Daniel is recognizing right here the fact that no one deserves the mercy and grace of God. And yet he knows it's always available. We've got to remember that you've got to remember that. I've got to remember that. That if we know, we know we've been disobedient to God. We know that we have turned from him. We know that maybe we've never had a relationship with him. And we, can ne- we need to be forgiven of our sin. We simply have. Scripture says to repent of our sin. Repent means you turn away from it. It's 180 degrees. I'm going this way, chasing the things that honor me and dishonor God, and it's a realization of I can't live that life because God has made me to be in a relationship with Him, and I need to be forgiven. And you turn 180 degrees, and you go the opposite direction towards God, pursuing Him with the rest of your life. That is what Daniel is talking about right here. We've got to understand that God has made a way for us to be able to do that through his son, Jesus Christ. And we start to get into a little bit more of that as we move into verse 20. Daniel chapter nine, verse 20 through 23. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the first came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice let me stop there for a second remember Daniel's in captivity Daniel has not lived in a culture that do morning or evening sacrifices in years and yet he is still keeping time by his tradition and his culture and what he knew was supposed to be done to honor God and he goes on Verse 22, he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel... I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So we've got Gabriel, who's an angel of God, shows up again here like he did in Daniel chapter eight. And I love the way this goes down. It just says, (laughs) it says, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who i had seen in the first vision, came to me. Daniel's not surprised. Daniel has seen Gabriel before. So he knows if Gabriel's there, he's probably gonna get some information that he didn't understand before. And Gabriel tells him right there, hey, I'm here to help you understand what's going on. But I wanna stop there and zero in on one thing that Gabriel says. Verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved. What a great reminder of the love of God for his people. I mean, remember, remember who Daniel is and what he's experienced. Daniel was taken as a 15, 16 year old. Daniel, uh, when he's writing this, Daniel's in like his 80s right now. He was snatched from his home as a teenager. He was educated in a culture that raged against God. He's lived in captivity for the majority of his life. And yet, right here, Gabriel reminds Daniel that he is greatly loved by God. That's important for us because you need to know if there's been a time in your life that you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what's happening in your life right now. You are greatly loved by God. Your circumstances are not an indication of God's love for you or your life. He doesn't love you more. You are not more blessed because life is going well and you don't want for anything. He doesn't love you less and you aren't less blessed in your life because everything feels like it's falling apart and you don't have the things you need for basic life. If God created you, and you have a relationship with him, you are greatly loved. His love for you is not evidence in how easy or hard your life is. You are loved because you are his child and he has reconciled you to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. That's something we can't forget. And here's where we get to the prophecy in Daniel chapter nine. The last couple verses. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time." And after sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come to one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the the desolator. Now, there's a lot of scholars that have spent a whole lot of time to try to figure out what all those weeks mean. So let's talk about the things that we can't understand. Most scholars agree that that word weeks in there actually means the word sevens. So when it says seven weeks, it's talking about seventy sevens. So if you go back and you do the math, that works out to approximately 490 years. 70 times seven. So he's talking about a really long period of time here. Now you can go back, and I'm not going to dig into it tonight because we don't have a lot of time. But you can go back, and you can dig into what scholars and and commentaries say about the breakdown of the seven, um, the 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 first seven weeks that it talks about, and then the 62 weeks that it talks about, and then the last week that it talks about. And there's some things that we can know again, looking through history. We're just not going to get into all those details tonight. But here's what we can know for sure from these last few verses. We can know that Israel will be released from captivity. We can know that the temple in Jerusalem was going to be rebuilt. And we can know that everything we see there in verse 24 is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's in him and through him that we find an end to transgression, an end to sin. It's in Jesus Christ through his work on the cross, his blood sacrifice that sin and iniquity are to for once and for all. We don't have to make those sacrifices anymore. It's through Jesus that everlasting righteousness is possible. Jesus fulfills every single prophecy here and he is the one who will establish an eternal kingdom. We don't necessarily have to know that exact time frame. You know why? Because Jesus told us that we're not supposed to know that. Now we spend a lot of time trying to figure it out and that's okay. But in the end, God knows when Jesus is going to do all of that. And we get to trust that God is sovereign and we get to know that in the end, God is in control. Jesus Christ reigns and we can follow him. And we have the opportunity to do what Daniel did then, right now. Daniel studied the word of God. Daniel prayed in response to the word of God. And Daniel lived obediently to the word of God. We are each called to do that exact same thing tonight. That's my challenge for you study God's word. Pray in response to what you see here, what you learn about who God is and who you are and live obediently to what God's word says in your life. That's what God calls us to do. That's what we see Daniel doing here and that's exactly what we have the opportunity to do. So the question is, will you do that? And only you can answer that question. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, God, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for so many who have studied your word and tried everything that can be done to understand your word, Lord, and gives us insight into things that are sometimes hard to understand. And God, I pray that even as we study those things, even as we do our best to understand those things, God, we keep in view that in the end, you are sovereign. And God, whether we figure it out or whether we don't figure it out, we can trust you and we can trust your word. God, we can live obediently to it. We can pray in response to it. Lord, help us to do that tonight. God, I pray for each person in this room, myself included. I don't know what people are doing for their quiet time. I don't know what they're reading in your word, God, but I pray that you will draw each one of us to your word tonight and tomorrow. Help us to dig into it. Help us to see who you've called us to be as disciples. God, if there's anybody in this room who doesn't have a relationship with you, has never put their faith and trust in you through Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray right now that you will draw them to yourself right now. (laughs) show them how desperately you want a relationship with them. Help them to confess their sin, God. Help them to turn to you and follow you with the rest of their life. It's in Jesus' name we pray.